What follows is the story of a crazy time I had in Cayman Islands, told just the day after uh, this whole mess got out, got done, and I was uh, awaiting my new flight out. And uh, I think it gives us some valuable lessons for liberty, and uh, and what can happen when you lose it. This took place, uh, I believe, about the spring of. 2012. Where do I start with this amazing story? Uh, I'm laying in bed recovering from a crazy day. I'm in the Cayman Islands and I came here because I was invited to check out a job for Dave. I'm working on a website. And when I came here, I heard about the rules about work permits in the Cayman Islands. You can't work without a work permit. And you can't get a work permit unless you're not here. Um, to seek work in the Cayman Islands when you're a foreigner is actually not allowed. It's a very strange kind of law. You have to know an employer here, and then he has to want you, and then he requests a work permit, and then after he gets it, which could take months, then you could come here and start working. Well, Dave didn't do it that way, and he invited me to come over here and uh, start working. And um, I said, well, I'm not ready to sign a contract or anything. I want to try it for a month to see how it goes. So I was over here working. Or Dave. And uh, there was kind of an agreed salary, but it really wasn't written down in detail. And I knew I would eventually be reimbursed for expenses incurred and, uh, and paid for my time. So I was here working on stuff at this pawn shop on my computer as the chief technical officer for the company. And a little did I realize that Cayman immigration authorities had come into the shop and raided the shop, basically. They were coming in and posing kind of as customers. And they just walked right in and started asking stuff and started going through files and acting like they owned the place. And they came to the back room where I was and they asked me from behind, are you working here? And I didn't even know who asked that. And I said, yes. Okay, get up, go into this room. I was under arrest for working without a work permit. And uh, I was handcuffed and uh, taken to a paddy wagon and taken downtown and stuck into a cell with five other guys. Actually, five of us shared two cells. And for the next nine hours... There was at least four police officers there. The six of us were, quote, processed. And um, I don't know how to relay to you the weird feeling that you get when you're tossed into a cell. It's like, what was I doing, you know? And they were cordial, but very slow. And after all of us had had sets of pictures taken 
a statement taken and fingerprints taken, and that took nine hours to process six guys with four officers. That is really slow. And I explained to them I was diabetic and needed to eat, and they got me some food eventually, but I think I didn't eat till nine o'clock at night. And we were told that if we didn't want to make a statement, which was basically a you know offering facts to these guys, that you know we could wait for an attorney. But of course, they did the raid on Friday afternoon, and now it was Friday nine o'clock in the night. And uh, good luck trying to find a lawyer. And my own employer was calling us and saying, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Uh, you don't need a lawyer. Don't, you know, don't worry about it. Just go ahead and cooperate with them and make your statement and uh, we'll take care of it. And so I didn't make a fuss and I made a statement. In fact, I typed it up for them because their typing was so slow. And um, whipped it out and just told them basically this is what's going on. I'm considering getting a job with this guy. I'm not currently getting paid. I'm just checking it out and trying to be very honest about the whole thing. And I knew when I went there, I was I had problems with this. I thought, you know, really, in fact, I should not be there working when I don't have a work permit. And uh, I was not happy about that. And I mentioned that to my employer. And he said, yeah, but there won't be a problem. We've got this figured out. We've done this many times. Don't worry about it. So this process, finally, like at midnight, uh, I get out of jail. And uh, I'm one of the last ones out. And my employer, Dave, is there trying to negotiate for us. And he's there till 2 in the morning. And that Friday night, you know, we finally get home. And like, what a nightmare that was. And when we left, we had to sign bail uh, promises of bail. Basically, uh, Dave was on the hook for several thousand dollars, and if we did not appear, I think it was the next Tuesday, um, if we didn't appear at 10 o'clock where we were supposed to be, then we were subject to a $5,000 fine or a year in prison. Or maybe it was five years in prison. It was some ridiculous amount. So we were surety for a bail, and... Um, it's the kind of way they do it in the Caymans. You don't have to put the money up necessarily, but if you skip bail, whoever is sponsoring you is going to owe them a lot of money. So, eh, fine, we do that. Tuesday we come in at 10 o'clock. We get there on time. We sit in this little waiting room, and it's an interesting room with some intimidating things in the wall, but basically it's comfortable, air-conditioned. And we wait, and we wait, and we wait till about noon. Nothing happens. Dave is there trying to negotiate, trying to get us off. He's willing to take all the blame. He's willing to pay for any fines or whatever. And they're like, well, we've got to gather information. And really, you're not really accused of anything. We just suspect you. And we're building the big file up on you guys, and when we're ready, we'll give it to our supervisor, and our supervisor will tell us what to do. And um, so two hours goes by, nothing gets accomplished. They give us another bail that says, you got to come back in a week. Tuesday again at 10 o'clock, we come back a week later. And we come back at 10 o'clock, and we wait till about noon, and nothing happens. 
and we get another one. Well, I explained to them that this third week one, that Tuesday, I'm scheduled to be gone on Monday. I'm leaving on Monday, the 7th of May. And I tell them, I got, I got a flight. I am not going to be here. So you guys got to process me beforehand. And Dave is pushing to try and get me out of there before I want to leave because I'm trying to get to my son's graduation. It's very important to me. And I want to get out of there, get home. And they say, well, you know, okay, tell you what, uh, I will come in early Monday. You show up early Monday and we'll, uh, I'll meet you there and we'll work this out and we'll get you done so you can get your plane. Great. You know, I don't know what's taking them forever. So we come in almost a week later. It's today at 8.30 in the morning. I'm all packed, set to go on my flight, which leaves at 2.30 in the afternoon. And I say, come in, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait, and we wait. And it's noon, and it's 1 o'clock. And Dave is there trying to talk to them, trying to find someone to talk to. The guy who was supposed to come in and early and talk to us took the day off. And uh, we're like, what is going on? And we go in there and explain to them, look, I got a flight at 2.30. We got to get this settled. You know, what is the problem? What do you need? Why can we not go? And, uh, or why are we not accused of something? And then uh, time goes on, and I miss my flight. And an hour after my flight's due to be gone at 3.30 is when they finally negotiate a deal with Dave and... Dave has to pay all the fines, and I'm gone. And you say, what a hassle. What a pain. You know? This is, this is not right. Well, it's more than not right. It's a scary thing. And until you've had this happen to you or something like it, you will not appreciate what it means to have due process and the rule of law. You just do not comprehend how abusive a government can be. And I want to talk about this here and analyze this and show you some of the legal problems and some of the moral problems with what they just did to us. Think about it. We were never accused of a crime. We were suspected of a crime. Evidence was gathered in a very questionable way. They just walked into the shop unannounced and just started asking people questions. Many people did not even know who they were when they started asking questions. I didn't know who even asked me, do you work here? And what does that mean anyway, if you're working now? Work, it takes work to live. And it's a... It's a very serious form of entrapment, and yet after they asked that question and gathered their evidence, then they brandized us. They told us we had the right to remain silent, and we could have a representative, whatever, blah, 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 here's your rights. But that was after they gathered the evidence that they were going to use against us. And um, then we're handcuffed. Why are we handcuffed? We're not resisting anyone. We're not disobeying anything. We're very calm. We're very cooperative. Oh, no, it's just policy. We just have to do this because of policy. 
And I guess maybe because in your pet, when you get in the paddy wagon, maybe you'll go crazy or something. So, you know, we cooperate with that. But still, you know, is it really necessary to handcuff everybody? And then we get in the paddy wagon and go downtown. And then, you know, here we are, not accused, and yet we're asked to make a statement. If we don't want to make that statement, we're not cooperating and they can't process us. And they will, by policy, keep us in jail. And since they did this raid on a Friday afternoon, that means you will be sitting there till Monday till you can find someone, get a lawyer to represent you. And, of course, the only person that could get a lawyer for me is my boss. My boss, what do you do with a lawyer when you haven't been accused yet? You haven't been accused. There's no one to argue with. There's no evidence to argue against. You are simply by policy under detainment. You were detained. Now, it used to be that detainment could only happen like three days. They have to let you go. They don't have any evidence against you. And then it became 90 days. And now in the U.S., because of the Patriot it is indefinite. If they suspect you of terrorism and the term is not well-defined and they want to detain you, which means, really, they take your freedom from you and they lock you up. There are no rules about whether they feed you or give you water. And if detainment is indefinite, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? You're in a cell and you're stuck there. Now, you want to cooperate because you don't want to piss them off. You don't want to be beat up or waterboarded or whatever else could happen. You don't want to be there all weekend. You don't want them leaving you there trying to go to the bathroom or eat without any food, drink, without any water. You want to go home. And you may not even know why you're there. They haven't told you what you did wrong. They haven't accused you of anything. And they won't accuse you because the minute they accuse you, they have to have, they have to give you legal counsel and they have to entertain your arguments. They have to prove a case. They have to have a hearing. They don't want that. That's due process. They want to just detain you. And so they use the situation of being incarcerated, detained. It is a very strong method of coercion to get you to cooperate with them. In this case, please tell us your story in your own words, what you did. In other words, please give us some evidence so we can use it against you. And, oh, you don't have to, but if you don't, you'll be sitting in this jail all weekend. And, no, we haven't told you if we'll let you out to go to the bathroom. We haven't told you if we'll ever give you a drink of water or some food or a pillow or some place to lay down except this hard wooden uh, bench and the concrete that's in the cell. It's a really intimidating thing. So this goes on. This goes on for week after week after week. Not only are you now compelled to promise to come back for, for processing. This isn't even for a hearing. 
You have to come back, and you and if you don't, you know, you understand you're going to go to jail or pay five thousand dollars or worse if you don't do what they said. But you're not accused of anything; you're only suspected. They need time, and they need evidence to build a case against you. Meanwhile, you get to sit in a jail, or you have to promise to return, and you can't leave the country. How long can this go on? How long could this go on? Well, guess what? It could go on indefinitely. The game they're playing. And you talk to a lawyer and they say, look, it's, this is the way the, the game is played. And uh, if you can't fight this, if you try to fight this, it's going to take months. It's going to cost you a fortune. And you're not going to get anywhere. And this is, this is slavery. It is absolute tyranny over your body, over your life. And it needs no due process. It needs no evidence, no sworn evidence or anything for these guys to do it. Now, Cayman Law is clearly, you know, Cayman Islands is clearly a British colony. And it derives from common law. And I understand a little bit about common law. So it doesn't make sense to me. You've got Magna Carta. You've got historical things and juries and such such things like that, that that are there in place to give you due process. But we never got due process. In fact, it was funny when we were back there in the detention center, in the office being debriefed, on the wall was a whiteboard with a bunch of numbers, a table of years. Each year had a, had numbers against it, which were dollar amounts that were taken in, like the highest fee or fine that was received and what officer got that fine each year. It's like a little contest, a little thing of who can get the most money. It looks like just a a plain bribing scam. And the funny thing is today when we were there all day waiting, we ended up, uh, a bunch of other guys came in and I'll play you a little tape here of some of the conversation we had, but we met some really high caliber people underwater videographers and dive experts that were here voluntarily for an event that was going on. I guess there was a Guinness Book of World Record dive going on. And um, they got accused of the same thing we did, working without a permit. And um, they're getting processed. They're having to come in and sit down here in this little waiting room like us for hours and accomplish nothing. These guys are well-to-do. I mean, they got... Things going on. And they're not dishonest criminals. They're guys with money that this system can get from them. Just like us. I mean, when they knew I was from Microsoft, when they knew I was a programmer, that I could do this job, whatever I wanted, from anywhere in the world, didn't necessarily have to be here, They smelled deep pockets, and I was always the last one processed. I was always the last one out there. And they were using me to sucker Dave into paying money. And basically, Dave was railroaded. I mean, he did his best to support the people in his company and to get along with these guys and to cooperate, but in the end, he was railroaded. There was no evidence. I don't think they had any real solid evidence that could have come up at any kind of hearing or court. 
But they knew that if they harassed us long enough, that they could get us to pay whatever they wanted, whatever they wanted. And it was a con game. It's a total con. And it's, and it's supported by the legal system. Now, Dave says he's going to go talk to higher-ups, and he has friends in the government that are higher up, that he, he's convinced he could talk to them and get things straightened out. I don't think so. I think this is the way the game is played. And uh, my friend Bill, who was with me, could overhear stuff that they were talking about, uh, a little training going on. You know, are we being trained so that we'll pay them the money they want and cooperate and not assert our rights or cause any kind of legal legal hassle? Because theoretically, there should be a way to, to take these guys down, to say, look, you guys are out of line. You're, you're incarcerating people without any kind of evidence. You don't have a warrant to come into the shop and search, uh, but you just do it anyway. And because you have the power and nobody's stopping you, you can get away with this and you can extract a lot of money. It's hard to believe. It's hard to believe. You feel naked. You feel raped. You feel absolutely taken down and dehumanized and humiliated. And it doesn't have to be a cruel punishment. I mean, that would be worse. It doesn't have to be an overt violent. It's a subtle little thing. Here's our policy. Hold out your arms. We're going to put handcuffs on you. It's our policy. You know, understand. Nothing personal. And it's our policy. You have to sit in this cell. And it's going to take us nine hours to process you. And it's policy that you have to come back in a week and sit in this stupid room with an appointment at 10 o'clock that if you're a minute late, you might go to jail for five years. But if you're on time, no one will be there to help you for two hours. And then they will just say, come on back. How long can they drag this out? There is no time limit. It's a process that they can continue as long as they want. Now... I'm going on and on, and I'm sure you probably turned this off by now because, hey, who wants to hear this story over and over again? So, it's insane. I can't leave the country because I'm accused of working without a permit. Well, if I leave the country, I won't be working there anymore without a permit. What is the problem? They want their money. There's no one harmed. State just wants their money. And they want to train people to follow. The other hassle is that getting work permits takes months and costs thousands and thousands of dollars for employers. It is a serious hamper to everyone around here that wants to employ someone who's not a local. And I can understand why they want to protect their their own labor force and, and prosper themselves. Instead of letting others come in and take over. I mean, that makes sense. But the way they do this, the way they administer this, is painful. It is dehumanizing. It also promotes dishonesty. It promotes lying. I mean, when you're there looking for a job, you can't say you're looking for a job. You're supposed to say, I'm here on vacation. Well, I'm not here on vacation. I didn't come to Cayman Islands to have a good time, necessarily, I came to see if this job would work out. But I can't find that out remotely 
I have to come and try the job. And um, my employer probably should have waited till he could get a work permit. But work permits can take six months to get. And he has a project. He wants to get going. He wants it done in six months. And the market is moving. He can't sit there and wait and still have this opportunity in six months. Life doesn't work that way. And so he cuts corners. And he's a fairly honest businessman. Dave is not trying to, you know, rip off the government or get away with murder. He is trying to be honest. But it's very difficult to be so. And so this government policy is corrupting every way coming into the country that are going to be workers there. I mean, why would you want to corrupt your own workers? It's funny. They, um, Cayman Islands is funny. You could do fireworks out of the yin-yang, but you can't have a gun on this island. But just last weekend, a bank here was robbed by three guys with guns. It doesn't work. Uh, this place is in many ways insane. When you hear about Cayman Islands being a tax haven in a place where you don't pay income tax, you don't pay property tax, those are great. But man, the work permit scam is as bad as any tax. It's horrible. And it's not that it's inherently wrong to have a work permit system to to benefit your local people. I'm I'm not against that. But the way they do it is so dehumanizing and so uh, counterproductive. It's it's unbelievable. So I'm kind of recovering from this shock of going through this dehumanizing thing, this devaluing thing, where the guy who promised to beat me to help me get out of there before I had my flight takes the day off. I feel so valuable to him. So I've rescheduled my flights at a cost of nearly $1,000. And uh, hopefully I will get home in a day or two and be able to get back to normal life. But I've been raped. I don't feel like a free man. I feel like a slave. And think about it. In the U.S., you could be detained indefinitely on suspicion of terrorism, a fairly undefined term. Think about it. This can happen to you any time. We need to fix this. It is a serious, serious problem.